Do you feel like you have enough time to do all the things you want to do in life? All the things you're expected to do in life? If the answer is no, you are not alone. So many of us struggle to find all the time we feel we need for the people that we love and for work and for taking care of ourselves and for faith and for playing games. But what if time management is a battle we can never truly win? And what if the answer is not to fight against our limits at all, but to embrace them, to celebrate them? Today, we're considering a book that asks these questions and more. 4,000 Weeks by Oliver Berkman is a, uh, a revelation of a book with profound implications for how we live, love, work, believe, and even play games. All on this episode of Board Game Faith, the bi-weekly show exploring the intersection of religion, spirituality, and board games. Hello and welcome to Board Game Faith, everyone. It is great to have you here. My name is Daniel Hilty. And my name is Kevin Taylor. And we want to say a um, word of thanks to all of you who are listening today on the podcast or watching on YouTube. Um, we are really grateful for you and really appreciate your spending some time with us. Thank, thank you so much. Kevin, I was thinking as we were dancing during our theme song, only our YouTube viewers get to view our, our dancing. They may not even see our dancing. I don't know. No, they do don't they? because I dropped the video in there. That's probably for the, be the best. Yeah. It's for the best. You're a good Some dancer. Some cannot be unseen. But no, I'm, I'm an yeah. excellent dancer. You are. No. You're famous for no, that. No, no you're, that's not. true. No, not. It's true. Stop lying. It's Lent. <laughs> Daniel, don't lie during Lent. It is Lent. In the, in the Christian tradition, it's Lent. Um, for those of And Lent you, means what, Daniel? It means it, Daniel. It, <laughs> So I gave Anglo, you this Anglo book, Saxon Norse. but I said it was just to borrow it. I, I, I lent it to you and I never got it back. <laughs> it was, no, it was, um, no, it was, it, it's, uh, it refers to the six weeks before, um, Good Friday and Easter, Christ's crucifixion and resurrection. It's, um, traditionally a season of kind of spiritually getting ready for that. I, I believe you might know this better than I do, but I believe it relates to the same word that gives us lengthen. Like it refers to the lengthening of the days, I didn't the lengthening know that. of sunlight, something like that. I didn't know that. It's Anglo-Saxon for spring, but it may be oh, also related to lengthen. Yeah. The I days are lengthening. That. I didn't know yeah. it was Anglo-Saxon for spring. Cool. So, you know, English is weird because we have Latin, we have German, we have French, and we have Anglo-Saxon, which is why, yeah. which is why we have the words poultry and chicken, because poultry is French and chicken is Anglo-Saxon. I didn't know that. So we have multiple words sometimes for the same thing. It's because we have all these, we're such a hodgepodge. Ah. Yeah, it's really interesting, isn't it? So you know, chicken has that almost guttural, you could hear a Viking going, chicken, Odin's son, chicken. And I think our word hen <laughs> relates to the German word for chicken. Does it? I think so. I, I think. 
Interesting. I, I, but I didn't know that about chicken. It does sound, chicken does sound very, yeah, very guttural. Yeah. Because the word Mr. I assume comes from the German Meister, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Right. And hamburger right. comes from hamburger. So, right. um, yeah, yeah. It's a, it's an odd, odd, it's an odd language. Yeah. Yeah. I pity those that must learn it. It's got to be a tough language to learn. It's got to be terrible. Yeah. 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 Well, as the start of, of Lent in the Christian tradition in Christian circles, and um, you might be in that circle, listener or viewer, or you might not be. And either way is okay. You are welcome here. Either uh, way, this, we wish you a happy Lent. That's right. That's right. <laughs> we are an ecumenical and uh, right. open podcast. We're glad you're and here. And Lent is usually um, not a time of happiness. So that's no, partly no, why I'm uh, saying that chung in cheek. Yeah. No, I, that's that probably we shouldn't develop a Lenten dance or something, but. Um, but we start off with Ash Wednesday and I wanted to tell you, I, in our church, at least we start off Lent with Ash Wednesday. A lot of churches do. It's this day where you, you remember your mortality, right? Which is kind of we're talking mm-hmm. about today. You, 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 or your sin. It could be focused on sin and repentance or death. Right. Right. And it traditionally you there. receive a mark of the cross and ashes on your mm-hmm. forehead. And so I, I kind of got a, a little chuckle though, this past Ash Wednesday, um, Kevin, I, um, another pastor at our church is uh, pastor jewel and she's really great she's she's awesome pastor amy is also wonderful at the church but jewel and i were leading the ash wednesday service and so i was marking the the uh the cross in ash on about half the congregation as they came forward and pastor jewel was doing it on the other half of the congregation as they came forward and after that the markings um Everyone's sitting down and of course we're facing the congregation and it was so obvious. It was so obvious which crosses Jewel had made and which crosses <laughs> I had made because Jewel's were like these super neat little, little like right, 90 right. degree angle crosses. Oh, she's an artist. And so they looked like okay. crosses and yeah. the other half, it was like a big black smudge, just like, just right, like, right. like a smudge all over their forehead. In fact, I had someone give me grief afterwards. She came up to me and she said, That's you really so need funny. to up your, your cross game because uh, she, she kind of wished she had been in Pastor Jewel's line because much. So next year I'm using the a stencil. Sheep and the goats were already evident who was in which group. That's, that's, that's right. That's right. So <laughs> anyway. Actually, you remind me, I have a funny Lent story. Oh, I want to hear it. That yeah, this was years ago, but we had a church. We had a cat that hung around the church and came in the office sometime. We call him CC, church cat. Well, we had yeah. a Monday Thursday service. And you know, there's different ways of doing a Monday, Thursday service, but the one that we had, there was a large cross and you had a nail and you would go out single file and each person put a nail in these pre-drilled holes right, and sort of right. symbolizing that you're, you know, you're nailing your sins to the cross. So it's, it's a, you know, it's supposed to, it's ultimately supposed to be a, a good thing, even though it's right. a little maybe somber, but it was taking forever. Like the line was taking forever. And we're like, what is going on? And we finally looked around and CC, the church cat, was right in front of the cross. So people would put their nail in the cross and then pet the cat and walk away. <laughs> so it was like tripling the time because the cat was just there, you know, completely oblivious to our Lord's sufferings. <laughs> and that's, that's why so animals great. are wonderful. They, they are. We're like, I oh, love- you have a somber service. I will, uh, I will totally jeopardize the somberness here. That's so like, great. It, so it nail, is. pet the cat. Nail, pet the cat. She just sat there, kind of mangy. <laughs> That's such a great illustration of something we talk about in our family too, which is like just a, pets, uh, unapologetic, um, 
obliviousness to the reality that they're not the center of everything, right? Just that they're just, you know, like yes. the, the cat is, the cat, here's a cat in, in a Monday Thursday service and the cat thinks, clearly this is all about me. Right. <laughs> clearly everyone is coming forward to pet me. Exactly. That's, that's right. I am the savior of the universe. Yes. I love that ooh, story. Ooh, Church cat. Daniel. Yeah. Daniel. Yeah. I just felt a small segue bell ring. Oh, tell me. Because you know, Daniel. It. Yes. Okay. Run with it. It's almost as if animals don't have a sense of time. Ooh. Right? Like you have somewhere to be and it's clearly, you know, everyone knows the banks close at five o'clock and you've got to go in physically to the bank, which still happens occasionally. And it's 4.50 PM and you only have 10 minutes yes. and the dog wants, you know, some attention. Yes. It's as if the dog doesn't operate on the times of Western industrial society. The dog, cats and animals and dogs do not value time. They do not value they time. They don't value time. And I, I have to say, Kevin, that is a great segue, and I can't resist. It reminds me, though, of one of my dad's favorite jokes. May I, may I share this okay. about animals yeah. and time? Yeah. So it's just it, okay. it, it, it may not be funny. I haven't told it in thirty years. So I don't know if I don't know if it's oh even God. funny anymore. But according this is to almost this, like a, this, a premiere. It says a <laughs> the premiere of Daniel's so, joke. I mean, it's it'll be over before you know it. It's not very. It's, so it's, it'll go fast. But okay. my dad left to tell a story about a, 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 a person who was driving down the road through the country, and they came across a farmer who was holding, like straining to hold up a pig to an apple tree so that the pig. <laughs> Could eat an apple off the apple tree? Have you heard this? Okay. You know? No, um, no, I like and, it already. And, and obviously I know jokes about really people driving and seeing stra- pigs. Yes, so yes. So I, I always like this genre. Is, yeah. is straining <laughs> to hold this pig up to an apple tree <laughs> to eat the apple. And the person rolled out the window and said, hey, what are you doing? And the farmer said, I'm holding up this pig so that it can eat the apple off the apple tree. Of course. And the, and the person in the car says, well, doesn't that take a lot of time? And the farmer says, eh, what is time to a pig? <laughs> <laughs> so, so there you go. <laughs> that's so funny. So that's in, in memory of my dad. But um, so yeah, animals don't have a good sense of time, right? They're fine no, with you no. spending all afternoon holding them up so they can eat apples off of a tree. But why would that be a problem to us as human beings? Well, it's a problem to us because, of course, what we're doing is super important. And um, if we just get these things done, then we will finally be able to rest and be happy. Mm-hmm. And so we just need to get our to-do lists and our ducks in a row, and then we can go on vacation or we can retire. And all of a sudden, everything will change and we'll never feel like we have anything to do again. Yep. And yep. that's why animals yep. are difficult. Because yep. humans must yep. be right, correct? Uh, you know, we certainly have not shown any error in judgment over human history. <laughs> right. Oppenheimer, anyone? <laughs> um, no. And that, that statement, what you just said, this idea, this belief that um, if we just manage our time better, if we just get things done, mm-hmm. if we just get things to the list, then we will finally be happy. Then things will finally be good. Is the central, uh, dare I say, conceit, the central mm-hmm. conceit that this book, 4,000 Weeks, Time Management for Mortals by Oliver Berkman, seeks to um, kind of uh, explode, right? Or seeks to yeah. kind of poke at. Um, and so, yeah, so we're discussing this book today. It's a, it's it's Boarding and Faith Book Club. 4,000 Weeks, those of uh, you who are viewers on YouTube and, and can this, see it. Yep. I have the audio book, so I can only show you 
if I printed out the receipt, I could show that to you. But, um, but I will say this has nothing to do with games at all, correct? Or does it? Dun, or dun, does dun. it? Because <laughs> uh, Senor Berkman, we shall call him. Yeah. Uh, he does not talk about games at all in this book, but you and I both had Segway bells ringing in our heads. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think he, he gets to game adjacent in, in it, especially one section. <laughs> He's game that serious. Spoiler, spoiler alert involves Rod Stewart, <laughs> but we'll get to that in a second. Um, yeah. So, but yeah. So this 4,000 weeks, time management for mortals, Oliver Berkman, where does the title come from Kevin for those of our, our viewers and listeners who may be wondering. So interesting because he says if you ask people how many weeks comprise the normal average lifespan of a human being, people give all sorts of crazy numbers. Yeah. 40,000, 400,000. Our sense of time is so wrong. It's yeah. 4,000 weeks is I yeah. think an 80 year lifespan, 80 yeah. times and some change. 52. Yeah. Something like yeah. that. Yeah. Yeah. So he's sort of rounding, and of course, some people get more and some get less, but uh, that's roughly what you have in your lifetime. And the question is, how will you manage it, and what sort of life do you want to live? And does your relationship of time make that 4,000 weeks brighter and better or worser? Right. Yeah. Which is why he calls it Time Management for Mortals. Yeah. This is a book about mortality, so it is a good Linton study. Yeah. Um, so you have a you had commented that it came to him as a conversion moment in a uh, that he tells in the book. Yeah, what that's that? what that's what really sucked me in this book. Um, the, near the beginning, I, I got it because you know I was thinking I was thinking oh, I really need to manage my time better, you know. And what what right. so I just searched like what's a good time management book, and he talks about this conversion moment. I, he doesn't describe it as conversion moment, but but I, I do near near the beginning of the book. Apparently. Oliver Berkman um, has made quite a career for himself being kind of what he call what he himself calls like a productivity nerd, right? Or a productivity mm -hmm. geek. Like he writes about how to be more productive, more efficient, how to manage things better. Like this is what he does. He writes books on it and writes articles for it for newspapers. And, and he talks about this moment not too long ago, sitting on a bench in Brooklyn, I believe, when all of a sudden it hit him that none of it actually works. <laughs> and, the one thing they don't want you to know yeah yeah that none of it actually works that oh. that uh, it kind of in his phrase like the more we try to master time the more time will master us right that we're, we're never we're never going to find a magic formula that makes us feel like we can get our all of our to-do lists done that we're going to get everything that we'll finally get to that promised land over the hill where we got everything done and everything is great and we can finally just be happy. That that's, right. that's a, it's a lie, right? It's kind of an illusion. And that's how he begins yeah. the book. <laughs> it's a great Yeah, it's beginning. powerful. And I totally identify with him because I have used different productivity systems. I kind of enjoy doing it. And I think yeah, others yeah. do too. You like exploring them and testing them. It's almost like trying out a new board game. And yeah. so I've bought different apps and things. So I totally yeah. got where he's coming yeah, from. And I had never thought of the fact that, as he says, if you are more productive, all that it means is that you work more mm -hmm. because it never ends. Like mm -hmm. the more, the better you are at email, the more you respond to email, the more responsive you are, the more people email you yep. and yep. the more you end up creating and you get yourself in a state of anxiety of always getting stuff done and you can't enjoy anything. 
Right. And right. so he's actually saying it is a, it's fool's gold, really. It looks right. like gold, but yeah. it's actually fake. It's just silicon. Yeah. 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 Silicon. Yeah. Yeah. So he, he's not, he's not saying we shouldn't be efficient or we shouldn't try to do things well or correctly, but he's kind of what we'll say. He, he also says you have to have a sense of, um, a failure throughout yeah. all of it, which I totally love. Yeah, and I think he's yeah. absolutely right. I think yeah. he's absolutely right. I mean, if he's wrong, show me the money. Show me. <laughs> I don't see how he's wrong. No, but no. Anyway, to getting, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, so he begins, right, just, I was just agreeing with you. Yeah, kind of embracing the things that we so often spend our lives trying to fight against or to pretend isn't there. Um, so, mm-hmm. but yeah, so he begins by talking about time, right? Even our relationship with time. Yeah. And what struck you with some of his conversation about time? Well, I love that he gets into how artificial time is today, mm-hmm. that it's really a mm-hmm. product of modern capitalism and mm-hmm. commerce. And some of those are wonderful things. Like our, the planes need, the, the reason our clocks are synchronized, as I had read it, I don't know if he mentions this, is the train system. That right. at, at a point in the 1800s, the trains all had, everyone had local time. So they had to have multiple clocks in each train station and train to tell you because it may be it, it, it's 905 in Boston is actually 853 in New York. They're same time zone, but right. they, they counted time a little differently. And there is one day where they actually synchronized all the clocks That's wild. so that they could fix that problem. Yeah. So now it's even more awesome that with cell phones, we have perfectly synced time. We don't even have to even, because I remember having to set your digital or analog clock occasionally, right? Then yeah, get yeah, off. yeah. <clears throat> and that seems great, but it's very oppressive because we're measuring everything in units of time. Yeah. Our work, our effectiveness, um, how we spend our time, we're always measuring. And um, yeah, it really struck me that in the middle ages, people measured time by how long it took to urinate. Is that not really? crazy? Or how long it took? Yeah, he mentions that. Or I they call that. it in a they call it a miseria. How long it takes to to say Psalm fifty one? To say it's interesting, interesting. Yeah, because they didn't yeah. have clocks, and you might have had a town clock that rang a bell on the hour. But what was time? What was five minutes? They had no concept of it, so they right. measured it by right. in sort of vague notions of how they lived. Yeah, yeah, and. Um, yeah, and they were not oppressed by the clock as these poor Uber drivers are, something like that, or delivery drivers. Yeah, I, I love his discussion of the kind of medieval concept of of time, and he, you know, and he and he's he's quick to say, you know, there are many good things about not being in the Middle Ages. So you know, he wasn't saying yes. you know, it's returned to medieval yeah. times, but we're he's not. saying you know that that but the concept of time was so different. You know, the sun went down; it was time to stop working. You know, the sun comes right. up; it's time to start. It's time to start working. Yeah, there you was know? no work at night. Because it was right. pitch black. Yeah, yeah. Um, so you went inside and maybe you could read or maybe not, or maybe lit some candles and played some music and then you went to bed. Yeah, yeah. And when the sun came up, you got up. Yeah, yeah. And you're right, how, how differently we, we perceive time now. I, I think you maybe have in the notes, and I, I think you mentioned this as well, this, this it, he didn't originate it, but he was quoting some philosopher who talks about how we, how we moderns view time it's like as boxes on a conveyor belt. Right. And like, right. This, this endless conveyor belt sends us like, you know, like 
one hour blocks and and we have to fill in the blocks as, as much as we can cram as much as we and then it's going to go down the conveyor belt and here comes the next hour block and we have to cram in as much as we can time for that and if we don't oh, then so we feel crazy. guilty right we feel, oh i could have filled in this block more you know and and it's um you know it drives and, me crazy is calendar apps always assume something's an hour and you'll see mm. it with people and so that means if there's only 20 minutes that's really needed for the meeting people show up late, they complain about how busy they are, the stuff that needs to be addressed is addressed, and then people talk about how busy they are, and then it takes an hour, and you're like, well, why did we spend 40 minutes? And, and partly people aren't paying attention because they're on their phones. And you're like, well, if we're all so right. busy, why are we, why do we just assume this has to be an hour? Why couldn't it be 20 minutes or eight? What about 18 or 53? But we don't right. like that. We like nice round numbers. So we think of it as an hour. And we divide the day up, but the sun and the day cares nothing for our little hourly mile mark. You know, like a mile marker itself is arbitrary or right. a click or a kilometer. All these things are arbitrary constants that right. then crush right. us. It's so yeah. weird. You know what's not yeah, arbitrary? What? The, the metric system. <laughs> Did you know the metric system is actually in the Bible and the Quran and the Bhagavad Gita? It's amazing. It's all. That's great. That's great. It's a foundational theological belief. Yeah, yeah. Kilometer. Give, give us base ten. Anyway, yes. One zero 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 one zero 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 one 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 zero one. Doctor. Um, and and so yeah and so he, I I think he really sees that as one of the, as kind of the core of the problem in that we 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 see we see modern life as a battle with time right yes. and and it's a battle ultimately we will lose that we 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 can't if we're trying to battle time we'll always lose it it will always it will always get the best because of us what are we we ultimately Methodists. are <laughs> no 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 that's right no, sorry uh, mortal want to be catholics we wish that's we were right. catholics sorry sorry <laughs> No, we mortal. are time itself. Like that's the we tough, are. we're mortal, but also we are actually we creatures are time. of time. Yes. And to battle time is to actually battle ourselves in a battle way ourselves. that is oppressive. Yeah. Yeah. Well, who did he quote? Like, Heidegger? Heidegger said that? Heidegger. That, yeah. Yeah. yeah maybe a, you want to read Heidegger. Yeah. Um, um, I, I know of him. I think I can spell his name. I've never actually read him, but yeah, that we are, we are in a sense, all we are is what we have paid attention to or mm -hmm. what we've paid attention to through time. Mm -hmm. That's mm -hmm. the sum of our identity. Right. And so right. to battle that is to deny our, how God created us, which is, yeah. it, you know, God must love history because God made it. And God made right. time. Right. right. And we're traveling through it and we need to embrace it for what it is instead of trying to um, make it something it's not. So when we, yeah, if, if we see life as kind of a battle with time, we're battling our ourselves right and we're, we're just yeah, kind of we're battling our very humanity yeah, yeah yeah so ai and stuff it would be so or or aliens may have a very different understanding and that would be so cool or presumably angels but um for us we are time bound yeah so so one way so so then he, he explores you know these ways that we i think he might say kind of failed attempts or flawed attempts to relate to time. And one of them that we very much knew was efficiency, right? That we try to be so efficient. 
And and I think as she said, you know, he he's saying he's not he's not saying we shouldn't be efficient, you know, to try to, but but I think he also tries to lift up some some dangers we can get into, right? When efficiency mm-hmm. is kind of our god, um, right? It is an idolatry. I thought of that a lot in this book as idolatry. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, if, if efficiency is our God, then you're never going to be happy. You're always going to be trying to optimize and you're always going to be restless. And if you're waiting, if you spend a lifetime trying to get to a moment such as the dream vacation or retirement, well, surprise sucker, um, you're not going to be able to enjoy it because yes. you, you're so twisted towards efficiency. You're yes. going to be sitting on that pool deck twiddling your thumbs like, I got to do something. Yes, yes. You if are we, what you do, right? Exactly. If we see if you're ourselves... you're unable to relax. Yep. I, I, one of the biggest revelations of this book for me was this idea that of the instrumental instrumentalization of time, the instrumentalization right. of time. And our, you know, our whole... Our modern society is built on this. We might say capitalism is built on this. Maybe you talk about the Protestant work ethic is built on this, but this this instrument instrumentalization of time that, um, you know, our economic system or our modern society instrumentalizes everything and everyone, including me, including you know, all, you know, I'm to some extent I'm a cog in a machine. You know, that's trying to produce mm-hmm. something. We're all kind of cogs machine. And but he says we do this even for time, right? And so that right. because so what as what does that mean? Examples. Well, we have to do really good in uh in, in school and get good grades. Why? So that we can get into college and and and, and right. get into a good college or whatever. You get to college. Well, I have to do really good in college. Why? So that I can get a good job. All right, so that I, 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 I get to the job. I have to work really hard at my job. Why? So that I can get a promotion, right? Well, I get a promotion. So then why do that? So that, and it keeps going on and on and on, right. so that everything you're doing in the present is in service to some future moment, right? And, right. and, and, and it sets up this dynamic you mentioned there at the beginning that someday I'll be happy, right? Someday I'll make it there. Someday it, everything will be great. But right now I've got to work, I, I've got to, I've got to instrumentalize my time. I have to, I have to have this be in service to the future so that when the future gets here, I'll finally be happy. But the problem is it's never the future, right? The the future is, is a mental construct. The only thing we ever have is the present. And if our present moments are always in service to the future, we will never be happy, right? We will never be satisfied and content. And, and the apostle Paul has this, I think it's in first Corinthians. He says, you know, now is the day of salvation kind of yes. saying that like, like, um, it, it gets picked up later by St. Augustine. We say tomorrow and tomorrow and tomorrow, but tomorrow never comes mm-hmm. because, mm-hmm. um, yeah, as you're saying, like in a weird way, the future never exists. And right. so what we do right. is we rob the present of any of its joys because it's always being made, you know, it's a mule being made to service the future. Right. Right. Uh, and, and yeah, it's, it's so profound and true and it's obvious, but yeah. we don't, we don't think about it. Are we, yeah. we've been so trapped by the measurement of time of clocking in and out. Um, and I've long struggled with this with ministry that some people really think churches ought to be like banks that are nine to five type thing. <laughs> and that's, when you think about it, it's a very odd yeah. concept. Yeah. Why, yeah. why do we think they should work like a, you know, a bank is there 
for certain services, but churches don't typically work that way. Right, right, right. Like people don't walk in wanting to withdraw cash. They might walk in if there's a problem or issue, but but church is also about visiting nursing homes and, exactly. um, you know, like things happen outside the church. So it, for some reason, in the 20th century, people began to think of them as if they were local businesses, but mm-hmm. they would operate very differently if that were true. Right, right. Yeah. The church is a, is a strange animal. Right. Um, well, I think it's more cultural than church, but. Right. Um, true, true. But it has definitely been in church in, in the 20th and 21st century has been a strange animal yeah, because of these yeah. influences. So yeah, he makes the great, great point, And I've long thought of this, that people are so impatient with microwave ovens, which are so fast that they right. actually open the door before it goes off. <laughs> So you are more impatient with a 20-second microwave experience than you would be if you were, say, growing tomatoes <laughs> right, <laughs> or something right. else, right? Like you kind of, it's all about expectations. And if you expect it to be fast, you're frustrated that it wasn't ready already. Right, right. He makes that point, yeah, that, that yeah. you would think that becoming more efficient with things, time-saving things would allow us to be more relaxed. I mean, that was the promise, right, of every efficient, that was the every promise. efficient you know, we'd be more relaxed, but it doesn't. It just makes us more impatient. You're right. And, and, and I love so that example weird. you said. He's, he says, how many times have you walked into the, the, uh, your office kitchen, wherever you work, if you work in a place with an mm-hmm. office kitchen, and there's always like six or seven seconds left on the microwave, <laughs> and it's because somebody before you couldn't wait the final six or seven seconds. Yes, 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 yes. And I do that too. I do that too. I I do it too. I have a, um, I have a electric kettle and it's a cool one in some ways, but it doesn't beep when it's ready or it does a subtle one, but then immediately starts cooling. So you really kind of have to stand there with it, almost babysit it. Oh yeah. Because you can't go do something else and wait for it to beep because you won't hear it. Okay. Okay. But why not? Like, what am I, you know, why don't I just sit, stand there and just enjoy the, because it only takes like 40 seconds. It's not yeah. long. Yeah. But, yeah, but yeah. I'm tempted to multitask. Right, right. Pull out the phone, answer some email. Um, yeah. At least that's what I would do. Start, yeah, yeah. Yeah, tidy up something or whatever. Yeah. You know, it's, it's interesting. So much of this touches on spiritual matters. I mean, you, you just a moment ago, you know, quoted St. Paul and, and Augustine. Mm-hmm. Um, Oliver Berkman really draws extensively from a lot of spiritual traditions in this book. He he, he also does. quotes he a does. lot of Christian tradition and Jewish tradition and um, and um, Buddhism and and other traditions as well. And I, I I said in the intro what a revelation this book was, at least kind of for me. But I it really it really wasn't that way. You know, I I thought I was getting a book on how to answer more emails more more efficiently. And it's more mm-hmm. like, like, it's not like the meaning of life. You know, it's like, it's like it about, is, it it's is. so, it's so, it, it's really good. It's really good. Not to, we're yeah, not being and paid I like by Oliver Berkman to say this. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, but I'm sure he's listening to this podcast. I think he <laughs> Thank you, Mr. Berkman. I like how he also quotes the religious traditions that he's not sort of chumming up to them. He's not out mm-hmm. to score points for or against. He's just like, hey, religions agree with this and here's where they've agreed with it. And then he moves on. So he's yeah, very yeah. authentic in how he draws from them without yeah. any chip on his shoulder, either trying to prove or disprove. Right, uh, he right. Doesn't, he's never snarky. He's very appreciative. Yeah, um, yeah. And I, I like that. I really like that. Yeah. 
Yeah. Um, and I love the one. I love, 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 love the one so much about the Hindu guru who said, do you want to know my secret? Oh, yes. I don't mind what happens next, which is, I assume, an intentional pun, both that he's not worrying about it, but also he's not going to let it sit in his mind. So yeah. there's a bit of a pun there about the mind. But yeah. the secret of enjoying the present is deciding that you won't really mind what happens next. Yeah. 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 That was so good. good. Related to that is something else he said that really stuck with me that I've been trying to practice and embrace, but not, not doing a very good job at it. But also he said, one of the keys to, he didn't quite put it this way, but something to the effect of one of the keys to having peace of mind is to let go of your demand that the future conform to your expectations. Oh, and that was so good. I was so good. Yeah. You know, and I, because yeah. um, I, I know that is, you know, how, how much stress and anxiety, um, and also I'll, just to be real, uh, as, a, as a person of faith, prayer, <laughs> do mm-hmm. I spend all the time trying to get the future to conform to my desires, right? And, and, um, and, um, and there's something so liberating about that's not my job. I, I, right. I really don't have, I can't, nor can it be my job. I cannot demand that the future conform to what I want it for it to be. That doesn't no, mean we can't make plans. relationship is curiosity. Yeah, yeah. Which is an antidote to anxiety is to approach things with curiosity yeah. So you're open and you're interested, but you're not trying to control it. Right. Yeah. Right. And it's so hard if you're of an anxious bent, which I am. Yeah. Um, me too. But life is so much more rewarding when you allow it to surprise you instead of trying to make it be what you want to be. Yeah. He talks about developing a taste for problems and uh, and um, expect problems and kind of curiosity. But like you said, I have problems. He said, you know, it, it's, he's, yeah. he says he feels like we're going through most of us, many of us go through life with this unspoken assumption that like problems should never happen. And if they do, it's like a great injustice. And it's just, right. it's like, it's that's, so just, that's just not true. <laughs> it's like, it's you know, so problems are cool. going to happen. So expect them and right. become like a, like a connoisseur of problems. Like, like find some, expect them and try to as much as you can, see them as challenges to overcome, you know, or, you know, be curious yeah. about and them. And they're, yeah. they're always going to be there. You, you will right. never not have challenges when you're older. Yeah. You're going to have health challenges. You're going to have be worried about family and friends. Um, life is a series of challenges and it is odd. I don't know if it's consumerism that we just mm. kind of expect that we will be happy. Like we expect that you can walk in a store and buy exactly what you want and not have to wait or be inconvenienced yeah. or have anyone in your way. You can get the color you want. And if you don't, you can complain or ask if there's some in the back, right? They always right. think there's a solution. They, <laughs> they promise solutions. Yeah. And so yeah. we get so used to that. We think it applies to everything, but no, no. Yeah. Well, yeah, I, I know challenges. We had talked, I know you had a, a, a section about, um, kind of the second major part of this is thinking about how it relates to rest and play and games. But before I get to that, do you mind if I just bring up also, he has this great section where he talks about the joy of settling yes. and the joy of missing out. Did that, did that connect to you too? Or, or? Absolutely. Yeah. Cause yeah. when I taught at, um, at Pfeiffer with some of the students, I felt, 
I felt that easy push that they are given, which is what do you want to major in, right? Mm -hmm. What do you want to be in your grow up? And I'm thinking these are 18, 19 year olds. How dare we ask them that? Exactly. And if you ask most adults, they aren't doing what they thought they were doing. They're 18. That's ridiculous. Right. You can ask them what they like and encourage them to do that, but they should pursue their interests and they should settle and they should network. But Mm -hmm. they do, I mean, gosh, to set them up for that kind of failure. Yeah. To yeah. say, well, you, you, here's what you're going to be, and it's your major, and oh, well, you messed up because you chose the wrong major. Well, how are you supposed to know? Yeah, your brain's yeah. still eight years out from final formation. Absolutely. Like, like you're saying about the future, they should enjoy being a student and learning. Right. 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 And enjoy the present. They should prepare for the future, but but college is not about getting a job. College is about college. Yeah. 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 That's yeah. that's a great connection with the college student experience. I didn't think about that, but you're right. That is so- Well, it gets, it's been mine. So I immediately connected. Like I know what he's good or that's how I would connect it with it. Cause I was like, yeah, I saw this and I never wanted to say, ask them, uh, what do you want to major in? That's right. just, or what do you want to do with the rest of your life? You're like, I want to right. rock. Remember, <laughs> was it Twisted Sister? What do you want to do for the rest of your life? I want to rock. Yeah. I mean, that was a great answer. Like that's about it. And at 18, that's, that's okay. Yeah, rock, yeah, buddy. What yeah. what were your thoughts on it? Well, about I guess the settling I was, topic. I was just thinking about it in terms of you know, there's 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 kind of this inclination. Either I don't know whether it's intrinsic to the human heart or whether we're taught it from our culture, but to you know, always kind of keep your options open. You know, always uh, never never commit to one thing because then once you're committed, then you're saying no to other options, right? When you're, you're, once you commit to one road, you're closing down other roads. Mm-hmm. And so, so you don't want to commit so that you can go down as many, you can have, have that option in the future of going down a different road. But he said, the, the problem with that is, um, that there is a certain joy and blessing to use a religious word that comes with the depth of choosing a road and sticking on it that, that, that you can't get if you're just always trying to keep your your options open and, and you, you won't get it initially either. You know, I, I, um, I guess a couple things come to my mind. Um, I guess from my own experience, you know, um, uh, they say some of the most productive work for a pastor in a church is like, between years five and seven, you know, and, mm. and I, I found that to be uh, true that it just takes, it just takes years of getting to know each other as a church and as a pastor and getting to care for each other mm. and learning you can trust each other. And you, if you come in there and instantly think, you know, okay, you know, we're going to, you know, we're going to do all these things. Um, oftentimes, sometimes it can be not too good. The re- results of that, because you've skipped over the the period of just living life together where that that nurtures a kind right. of depth to that relationship that that you can't hurry it just takes there's 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 no substitute for time and building and and the other thing that makes you think about is is so like marriage is like a marriage like a good marriage right like you know yeah. um uh, i i'm i'm not to get too gushy or sentimental but you know i'm just i'm just i'm so thankful for Kristen and um, I just, um, you know, just adore her and she, but, and we married a long time and, and, and like every couple, you know, and, and she 
we've talked about this. She doesn't mind me sharing it. You know, we have arguments at times. We don't get along, things like that. Uh, but the blessing of those times is you come out on the other side and you learn that you can go through arguments and disagreements and still have the other person love you, right? And still care about right. each other. And, and you don't know that if you're all... If you are always keeping your options open, right? Because if you're always keeping your op- op- options open, then when that, then when that first argument comes, then you go in a different direction or something like that, right? You know, because right, right. you want to explore another option. Anyway, that's kind of what yeah, you think or you about. keep waiting yeah. to meet the perfect person, and right. they explore this sometimes in movies. I think um, that that sometimes a perfect person is right there, but they just don't see them because they're like, yeah. well, I want this, this, this. I want somebody that was on The Bachelor, and I want this. And, and so they spend years waiting or trying to find the perfect person and they could have had a lot of happiness before then. Yeah. It yeah. also reminds me of that old joke. I'm sure everybody knows about the guy that's, you know, there's a flood and he goes up on the roof of his house and prays that God will send him a miracle. Right. Yes. And so a rowboat comes by and he's like, you know, can we help you? Like, no, no, no. God's going to give me a miracle. And then I forget it. Helicopter comes by and yep. then something else. Do you remember? There's always three. I forget the third. And then yeah, finally, he, yeah, I don't remember either. So he dies, which is, yeah. then that's the end of the joke. No, no, <laughs> he dies. And he goes to heaven. He's like, I, I prayed for a miracle. God, where were you? And God's like, well, I sent you a rowboat and a helicopter, <laughs> but he kept right. waiting for the perfect miracle. But you know, there they were and it wasn't right, good right. enough. So yeah, I think, yeah. yeah, the idea of just committing to smaller steps as humans, we're scared of big projects. We're scared of big things. So yeah. one answer to that is to simply focus on the next step. Yeah, yeah. So to be a like, musician, I, well, yeah. you should start listening to music and you should try to play it and you should sing. Well, I don't have a, a, a perfect music teacher. Well, maybe you just start singing in the church choir or the, the, the temple choir or the school choir. Well, I don't like that teacher. Well, who cares? You're right, learning. right. Right. You, know, you settle. Yeah. I take, think one take, of his... take what's before you, not what you think you should have. Right. Oh, that's so good. That's so good. Oh, thanks, man. Yeah, I think thanks. one of his last chapters is called like, take the next, do the next right thing or something like that, or the yeah. next right step or something like that. Yeah. And it's just, so true because everybody, yeah. people are so overwhelmed. And so you, you break down it, you break down a project into smaller steps and you work on what you can do. Yeah. Yeah. You know, yeah. you don't write a book, you write one word at a time. But if you right. write one word, one word at a time for a while, you will have a book. Yeah. It's not magic. It's just, it seems magical because we only see the final production. You right. don't see Stephen King, right? You know, t- actually typing out words, 3,000 words a day, every day, yeah. in six months, he's got a book. You don't see yeah. that. You just see a book on the shelf. And you're like, wow, you must be very smart and really good at that. But, right, right. Or like you say about building a house, you don't build a house, you build a, what is your thing? Oh, the frame, like the, the yeah, studs you build and a the frame. frame and and you, the, yeah. 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 But you don't think about the framing at all in the, yeah. No. So you what does this have to do with games? Oh, so much, Daniel. I think first off the idea, you know, it's funny. Sometimes we don't play games because we feel like we don't have enough time. Yes. Yes. And that may be true. There may be a season of your life where you really can't because let's say you have a young infant in the house or job change or you're moving or something. But in general, maybe you do have the time. You just think you don't because you're trying to get all this stuff done. 
and you keep yeah. waiting to have the perfect time for the perfect game group. But maybe you need to retool those expectations. Maybe, um, maybe the point of games is not to play them when you're done, but to play them because you only have 4,000 weeks. Yeah, yeah. And if you yeah. want to be playing games, what's stopping you? Right, right. To, 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 that it's, there will always be something else that seems to make itself, that society will say is more important than play. Yes. For us, it takes the form of games, but play can take other forms as well. Right. And, and you need, and, and um, if, if thinking that you have to get through all the important stuff is the measure for whether you, you play games or not, you're never going to play games. You're never going to play, right? Because right. society will always say there's something more important. And so it, takes, it makes that decision to say, this is, this is an important part of human existence. You know what it means to be human. And I feel like such a hypocrite for saying that. I, I, uh, I, 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 uh, true confession time. I, I have just, I have recently dropped out of our game group at church because I just feel like I didn't have the time for it anymore. I no. feel like such a hypocrite. I know. Daniel, I know. you're going to go to hell. No, Daniel, <laughs> no. Um, our oh. wonderful college, our wonderful college uh, ministry Daniel. director, Reeves, has taken over it and she does great. Yeah. But I just felt like, you know, I've got like meetings every other night and I was like, oh, I just can't. I just. Well, I and, just and you can't, maybe you can't for now, but the goal yep. should be. Yeah. Hopefully yeah. that will change. Yeah. I hope. The, the, yeah. um, and also, it also reminds me, that's what Rodney um, at Watch It Played. Rodney Dangerfield? Rodney is that his Smith. Name? Rodney Dangerfield. Rodney Dangerfield can't get no respect. <laughs> but Rodney Smith, everyone Rodney respects. Smith does. But Rodney <laughs> Smith at Watch It Played, I, I think it was him. I may be misattributing this, but I think he would be fine with me attributing it to him just because that's how he seems to be. But yeah, yeah. when he went to board game conventions, he kept waiting to play the perfect game. And he had his roommate and he's like, oh, well, I kept trying to do this. And I couldn't, he, he was telling his roommate and the roommate there, housemate at the convention said, oh, well, I just went, I played this. And this, he just played whatever came across his, his ambit. Yeah. And Rodney realized that he had done it wrong. Like he was mm. approaching the convention almost as work looking mm. for the perfect gaming experience yeah, of, yeah. of the magic game and getting to play it. And, and he missed all these other games, mm. which gets both to play should be about play, but also that it is about sometimes it's, it's, uh, it's settling. It is. It's playing the game at hand versus the game, maybe the perfect game. Right, right. You know, the, the perfect way, game like, will happen irrespective of your wishes. It'll just, right. the perfect gaming moment will happen. Mm, Even with thinking. a bad game. In fact, I was watching a channel recently and the guy was like, this is a really bad game, but we have so much fun when we play it. I'm like, I love that. That's I love awesome. it. That's awesome. This is 5.8 on Board Game Geek and this game just <laughs> rocks our world and we have no reason, no reason to explain it, but. And I, I, yeah, I mean, that's part of, again, I guess, you know, trying to let go of our demand that the future conform to our wishes you know i want to right. play the perfect game well sometimes you're not going to play the perfect game and right would you rather okay. play a game or would you rather just complain yeah. about not playing the perfect game yeah. yeah so yeah i think it also gets into the protestant work ethic that he's kind of trying to resist that and what better to resist the protestant work ethic than play that there's something yeah. that is absurdly non-productive which is yeah. what play is it's yeah. superfluous to anything that's useful in human life except it's absolutely useful for human life. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, in terms of who we are and where we where we get our deepest joys is moments of play, not from work. And so right. the more we can find ways to play, the more we are resisting being producers and consumers. Right, right. We and find our value useful. ultimately in yeah in the gift of life and not in our instrumental instrumentalization or functionality in yeah. a larger machine. Yeah. Play is absolutely useless from an economic point of view, yeah. unless you're buying lots of board games. But you know, if we just put that aside, play right. is useless in terms of productivity, which is why we should be looking to it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, because it reminds us of who we are. Yeah. So play he, can be very countercultural. Yeah, he talks about, you know, sometimes people will say, well, play and rest is necessary because it makes us better workers, which we've talked about on this podcast before. It's, oh, it's, it's a it, constant the theme point. from this yeah. podcast. This is the and, point. And he, and he, um, and he, and he, and I love that he brought that up. He said, no, he said, the point of play and rest is not to, you can be a more efficient worker. He mm -hmm. says it's, it, it's an end, it's an end unto itself. Um, and for me, I think one of the discussions I love around this, that he, he talks about this this phrase, the atelic activity, which was a new word to me, A-T-E-L-I-C. Mm. I assume it's pronounced atelic, atelic, I'm not sure. But um, I think I comes, had atelic once. It was from a yeah, plane trip. Yeah, there was, oh, I'm sorry. Rash. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Okay. That was, it got it, better. Oh, good, good, good. Yeah. But I, I mean, this whole like, arm is, is, a, is a bionic now. It has a USB <laughs> port, but I lost the arm, but it does have a USB <laughs> port, which is very handy. <laughs> So I have a lot of friends at the airport as they can charge their phones in my car. <laughs> You're a very popular guy now. A You're, popular guy. Yeah, yeah. You no, I'm plug sorry. Plug in a router too. You're that. walking Wi-Fi. Yeah. But yeah. Um, yeah. But I guess it comes from the, you know, there's this Greek word telos or telos, meaning like kind of like your ult, something's ultimate purpose, something's ultimate end, right. the end of it. And so like when, um, it, it and so atelic means without purpose, without activity. Mm -hmm. And, and, and I, I'm kind of maybe connecting some dots that he doesn't necessarily connect. So maybe I'm putting words in his mouth, but he talks about the importance of atelic activities um, because, because like games, like play, because by definition, if, if they're not, if they're without a, an ultimate future goal or purpose, um, then they're not in service to the future, right? They're all about the present, right? right? right and that, right. And that the, the gift, if, if it's true that the key to, to happiness and the key to experiencing grace and being present in life is to be present, like to, to right now, to not lose ourselves in the past or in the future, um, then that one of the best ways of doing that is engaging in these AT-look activities like playing and games because you're not trying to achieve some future goal that may or may not ever get here right. and, and games and play are are like brilliantly suited for that and that's all that's that's right. what games are all about they ground yes. us in the present yes um although i will add yeah. i'll complexify that just a bit there yeah. ombre weirdly there is a future goal in a game you want to win yes so there is a weird yes. but the truth of it is it's just a game which is yes. the beautiful bit of it that who cares that you won brass birmingham my aunt has no idea what that game is like <laughs> it's not that important and right. at a certain level hopefully we're aware of that so you can enjoy completing something that is actually kind of strangely irrelevant 
Right, exactly. Like you won at horseshoes. Good job, Daniel. Like, so yeah, you yeah, were trying yeah. to win and you won, yeah. but it also, it doesn't really matter because it's just a game and now you're going to go eat dinner. Right, right. The, the goal is so trivial, so unimportant and so short and so immediate. So it's short. not, it's not like something you're yes. like saving for 20 years from now that yeah. it, it ultimately doesn't matter. Right. Like it's just kind of, right. I mean, it matters. So it's scratch that, yeah. Go ahead. Yeah. It scratches our itch for purpose and, and goal active goal, goal oriented activity, but it actually also keeps it a little meaningless too, because yeah. it's about yeah. little chits or a dice or something. Yeah. 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 I think it's genius. I remember somebody reminds me of Jane McGonigal when we talked about her book, um, uh, reality is broken about how, yeah, like how games and play are so good at kind of giving us these little, um, these little, um, shots in the arm of, of purpose and meaning, you know, just, it gives us a sense of purpose, purposeness Mm -hmm. and purpose (laughs) and and, and meaningfulness. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, We're goal oriented, but it needs to be goals that are hopefully restoring us and not just making us into cogs of a machine. Yeah. And then that causes him to bring up Sir Rod Stewart. Are you a Rod Stewart fan, Kevin? I can't say that I was, but I definitely remember him. Yeah, yeah. I, I, my friend, my friend Chelsea, a friend of this podcast, she's, she's a big Rod uh-huh. Stewart fan. I hope, Interesting. I hope, I hope um, oh dear, I hope I didn't give, give away something. Chelsea, if you don't want me to share that, I'm sorry. Um, anyway, um, but she, she's a big Rod Stewart fan, but anyway, Rod Stewart, um, Oliver Berkman talks about how he was so surprised to read this article that said that Rod Stewart is a huge model train enthusiast. And that when he goes on the road, he has a hotel room for himself and a hotel for room for his model trains. (laughs) So funny. And, and it's just, and, and just how he loves that he's. He's um, unapologetic for this, for, for, for it. And he talks about this in terms of hobbies. And we could talk, we often talk about board game love as a hobby. And, mm-hmm. and he says this great line where he says, he says, a good hobby should feel a little embarrassing. And, and, and I love <laughs> so that. Good. I love it's because so the world will always yes. say, this is unimportant. Yes. Why are you wasting your time? Right. And that's yes. the point. <laughs> I mean, if Rod Stewart spent all his time obsessing over music and the career of Rod Stewart, how unhappy would he be? So, of course, someone whose job and vocation and work is music would have a totally different hobby. Yeah, yeah. To be a well-rounded person. That would just be weird if all you did was eat, eat, sleep, drink, think, meditate on music. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, yeah. You need something that that makes it's absolutely baffling to someone else. Yeah, Um, yeah. And I, I generally find people with hobbies and, and collect collections and obsessions really interesting because yes. then you get to hear, I mean, there is this weird cut glass that evidently is mostly men collecting these vases of cut glass and a guy showed me his collection. I didn't, I didn't know anything about it, but just watching him geek out over stuff that I had zero interest in was so much fun. I mean, I mean it vases. needs to end at some point, but yeah. Interesting, interesting. It's so weird people co- will collect, yeah. and I like seeing their obsessions. It makes yeah. it makes the world interesting and spicy. Yeah, to appreciate that someone out and get them to talk about it and watch yes. them geek out about something. Yes, I'm sure you've had. That and I can see before. people doing it to me. They're like, "Tell me about this board game thing," and I can right. tell they're kind of like rolling their eyes, but they're actually interested. And I'm like, "I know what right. you're doing." 
Yeah. And I'm yeah, going to yeah. tell you about it. <laughs> well, we've probably all experienced that. You know, you talk to someone about maybe like their job or whatever. And they're like, yeah, yeah, this is, you know, this is what I do or whatever. And this is fine. Right. But then you say, oh, oh, and I hear you're into cut glass vases. And then they're like, oh, yeah, this is amazing. I got to <laughs> tell you about that. And you can see this, this light come on inside of them, right? Just yes. That they don't get with talking about their job and their work uh-uh. and things like that. Yeah. Uh-uh. Yeah. Yeah. That's so awesome. Yeah, a good hobby should feel a little embarrassing. And yeah, but games and game collection is a little embarrassing. And we should be able to laugh at ourselves and not take it too too seriously. That's part of the fun of all hobbies, especially board games. It is just cardboard, really. Yeah. Isn't everything just cardboard in a metaphorical (laughs) sense? I know I am. (laughs) I had to have a mole removed at the dermatologist and it just, it's like, it was just cardboard. (laughs) It's really... You know, yeah. you know, you've been playing a lot of board games when <laughs> you absorb the cardboard. Into your skin. Yeah, that's awesome. All right. So we've got an end quote. You want to move to the end quote? <coughs> sure, sure. Well, yeah, I just I really love the end of the book. I thought it summarized it well. And he went out, he goes on to have an afterword and appendices and things. But this is kind of the end of the main body of the of the book. And I just I thought it summarized it well. He said, this is page 228. The only definitive measure of what it means to have used your weeks well is not how many people you've helped or how much you've got done, but that working within the limits of your moment in history and or finite time and talents, you actually got around to doing and made life more luminous for the rest of us by doing whatever magnificent task or weird little thing it was that you came here for. Mm. Yeah, I love how open that is. Yeah. How grounded that is to respecting and understanding people's yeah. weird little tasks or things. It, it's so appreciative of the variety of life. Yeah. And then not everyone is called to do the same thing. When I first read that, I, I kind of got caught a little bit on, you know, that measure is not how many people you've helped. Because I, I th- yeah, I think in some ways I might even say it is in, in a way. And I think that's certainly part of a lot of faith traditions, but I, but then I think about Parker Palmer, for example, as a Quaker Christian theologian. And he says, you know, he, he wanted to, when he grew up, he wanted to be the next Martin Luther King Jr. And mother Teresa and, you know, and, and just, you know, to, and, and he realized that the more he tried to do that, the more he was just um, almost kind of doing violence, right. To the, people around him to himself to his family because he was trying to be somebody that he's not and that ultimately he ended up helping more people and blessing more people just by being authentically himself right and the things that and and i and i see that and and i think oliver workman gets around to that in the end of the quote where he says in your doing your magnificent little task or your weird little thing you make life more luminous for the rest of us so it is ultimately in a way also a blessing it's how we bless yeah, others no, absolutely. Too. I agree yeah. that it's a little striking maybe because yeah. we are taught in various capacities to help others. I yeah. think what he's trying to get there is we don't want to do it that we're instrumentalizing people. Uh, I know one thing I famous quote from Dostoevsky is this certain character and maybe the brothers Karamazov, one of those yeah. where this character says, I, I love humanity, but I hate people. If you remember that quote, that that she's worried, she likes a crusade. She wants to help on a global scale, but she doesn't help the people that she meets. 
Yeah. So if yeah. you think of the Good Samaritan story, for example, he wasn't out to help anyone. He just saw someone in need and helped. So we help our neighbors, we help where we can, but we're not out to be the best helpers of the world. Right. Right. Perhaps is what he's after. And, and even like Jesus that. shows some of that the gospel, some frustration or moving on. His, his ministry was not one of helping the most people. Mm-hmm. Because mm-hmm. he spent time with disciples, he he goes to Jerusalem. He turns his back on the crowds. So he he didn't. He actually, interestingly, he was not an optimized human being, was he? In terms of productivity, yeah. I mean, curses a fig tree for no for for just out of frustration. So yeah, he's a very real person. Yeah, yeah I, lo- I love yeah. the cursing of the fig, fig tree. The, the more I thought great. about that's it, great. I'm like it's, and you love that the Christian tradition preserved that too. Yeah, right, He's right. Just got mad at a tree. <laughs> he cursed it. <laughs> it's the closest Jesus came to throwing a shoe at the wall. Just frustration. A little, you, you know, sometimes a little. You fig tree. You know. yeah. No one was hurt besides that. There, there's plenty of fig trees. It was fine. There are plenty of fig trees. Yeah. 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 Well, Daniel, next week. Yes. On our next show. Um, it's a, welcoming a special guest. So excited uh, to welcome uh, Reverend Dr. Casey Sigmund. Uh, Reverend Dr. Casey Sigmund is a seminary professor at um, St. Paul School of Theology in Kansas City, Missouri. And she uh, recently uh, started a, a new center at uh, the seminary called the Pause Play Center. It's for it's for clergy renewal, and it's all geared toward um, helping clergy persons um, have a sense of renewal in their lives through play, through the gift of play. And so she's all about what this podcast is all about, um, the intersection of religion and spirituality and, and play and games. And so um, we're, we're, we're looking forward to, uh, to welcoming Dr. Sibwin uh, next time. It should be great to hear about the, uh, her center and her work and her thoughts on theology and, and play and religion and games and spirituality and all of that. Right. Yep. So. We are excited about that one. I remind folks to like us. So like you us. can do that. Like me on Insta- Instagram. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If you could leave on leave. Instacat, all Instacat. cats all the time. Instacat, Instagram and the Facebook and we got YouTube and we got podcasts. Yep. And yep. We, we got that stuff. Yeah. If you feel so, so led to leave a review for us on Apple podcasts or Spotify, that really helps a lot too. It helps people find us. We'd appreciate that if you feel if you feel so led. It helps the algorithms yeah. point out our podcast to other people. So, if you see um, someone who looks like they're down and needs you know a kind word, you should pause, help listen to them, and help them identify the feelings they're feeling. And then once they've done that, say, "Friend, let me tell you about a podcast, <laughs> <laughs> brother. This might lift your spirits and so, come up with your faith." So I, After I love you've it. helped it them negotiate their feelings. That's right. That, that comes good. first, but second comes board game faith. Uh, that's right. right. Bye, everyone. That's right. Bye. Thanks so much.